As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Chelsea are in America and we've got a spy in the camp. There's transfer tittle-tattle. We catch up with Chelsea's women at the Euros and look ahead to the new WSL season. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. Here we go again then, gang. Uh, later today, we'll be joined by an SOC debutante and women's football expert, Jesse Parker Humphreys, will be with us. We'll also hear from Simon Johnson in LA. But for now, joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, is the Athletics Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey. How are you doing, Liam? I'm good. Let's pre-season. <laughs> right, let's head to stateside and kick things off today. So Chelsea are in America on their pre-season tour. And with them is our own Simon Johnson, who sent us this voice note. Well, hello. Greetings from UCLA campus, where um, I am here watching Chelsea train. The first training session open to the media and already had a meeting, uh, very much off the record, I hasten to add, with one of the co-owners, one of the board members, Jose Feliciano. He's delighted to see Chelsea in town. Oh, here comes the helicopter right over the training base here. Obviously getting a good view as uh, Edouard Mendy chests the ball down with ultimate professionalism. Uh, but yeah, we've it's been a pretty uh, light session so far. Guys having a little uh, small-sided game, looking very comfortable on the ball as you'd expect. Mishmash of faces. I, uh, on Twitter, Took a bit of delight in seeing uh, Michi Bashwai here for another pre-season. Um, it's remarkable he's still here. Now, this was the setting, uh, before I ramble on too long, this was the setting the last time uh, Chelsea were in America, I believe. And certainly the last time I was here with them. 2016, uh, Antonio Conte and his first pre-season as Chelsea manager. Now, it's not as hot as it was back then, which I think the Chelsea players would be much relieved about because Tuchel and his coaching team, backroom team, aren't going easy on them. Um, they are putting them through their paces. But uh, I think they're quite relieved to be training here than, from what I understand, is very hot weather back in the UK. 
But uh, yeah, everyone's with a smile on their face. You've got quite a few players out on the pitch, you know, some with uh, uncertain futures. Um, it's good seeing Tino Andrew, might I add, has, uh, has definitely been in the gym over the summer. He's looking uh, very uh, beefed up. Capo's ball control uh, has been looking good. Of course, wonders whether he's still going to be a Chelsea player come the start of the season. Can a club actually afford him? But, uh, but yeah, this is uh, very much the start of things. I can see Reese James over to my left. Um, he's uh, in a different area of the pitch with a few other players going through a, a sort of a very light jogging session. Uh, Connor Gallagher there too. He looked pretty sharp, I have to say. Um, this is a guy that wants to make an impression in pre-season. Thomas Tuchel likes him a lot. He's fantastic for Crystal Palace. Can he uh, book a spot in uh, Chelsea's midfield? He, he's obviously got the advantage of Angola Conte and Ruben Loftus-Cheek not being out here because, of course, they haven't had the COVID jab and uh, the US won't let people in who are unvaccinated. So their uh, decision could be uh, to Gallagher's benefit. He's getting a, a really good chance of uh, catching Tuchel's eye. So anyway, this is me, uh, Simon Johnson from uh, UCLA campus, giving a very warm welcome. There's uh, quite a lot of UCLA students outside wanting to grab signatures and pictures. Words got out certainly around this place that, that Chelsea are in town. Um, but this is very much uh, uh, an easy way into the start of pre-season. Of course, Chelsea have a, their first pre-season game in Las Vegas, where it's going to be around 43, 45 degrees Celsius. Um, but the good news for the players, I'm sure they would have known and asked, it's an indoor stadium because uh, I wouldn't fancy playing in that heat. Anyway, mind you, I can't play in any heat these days. Right, <laughs> before I take up too much of the uh, Straight Outta Cobham podcast, this is uh, Simon Johnson out here on the west coast of America covering Chelsea. And, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a very positive trip. Uh, while stateside, Simon took in an LA Dodgers game and spoke to fans, the club president and Joe Cole about what Chelsea can expect from the new owners. It's mostly positive, albeit some concern over the quality of the hot dogs and the removal of an all-you-can-eat buffet. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up to read the piece. Uh, Liam, as mentioned, no Ungolo Kante and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. They didn't go as they're not vaccinated and you need to be to get into the US. Do we know how, how the players and the club feel about this being public knowledge? Presumably it's something we're going to see more of across the Premier League as teams begin these tours. Well, I think it's unavoidable. You know, I think Chelsea's position, as with most Premier League clubs, um, since COVID really became a factor in football, is that they, they don't disclose voluntarily players' individual vaccine status. But when you're going on a trip to a place that requires full vaccination for, for entry at the border, you have to disclose it. You know, there, there's no real... Unless you make up an injury for why they've been left at home for a couple of weeks, which I'm quite glad Chelsea didn't do. At least they were honest about it. I mean, it's not ideal, is it? It's not ideal for the players... It's not ideal for Chelsea. And if you look at it on an individual level, N'Golo Kante is someone who, a very short time ago, right at the end of last season, Thomas Tuchel was, was saying, 
you know, he's our Salah, he's our De Bruyne, but he only plays in half the games. And this is a big problem for us. So if there was any player that needed a full pre-season to get some conditioning into their legs after the kind of disrupted few years Kante has had, really ever since um, the Europa League final in 2019, you know, I th- it, it would have been really important for him. And it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not all of pre-season. But it's a it's a decent chunk of it, and it does put them put him behind a little bit. And with Loftus Cheek, it feels like he's perennially someone that we're talking about needing to impress the coach in preseason. I mean, he he sort of established himself a little bit more in the first team squad last year as an option for Tuchel in in central midfield. But he's got new competition in the form of Conor Gallagher and some of the other guys who are looking to impress Tuchel out in LA, and Chelsea might still bring in a midfielder, even if it's not the most pressing priority. So it's not great for him either. And, you know, there's there's much we don't know about what has led individual players to make the decisions they've made. And even if we knew, there's much that we can't necessarily discuss about it. But it, there's no doubt that it's not an ideal situation for the club or the players. So they're not going. Armando Breuer is going, but he's joined up late. Do we know why that was? Was that to do with the transfer negotiation possibly, or or is that something else? We don't know exactly why Um, he didn't travel at the same time, but he's got a lot of Premier League interest. And um, the position of Breuer's camp, I think, heading into this summer, and and it hasn't really moved during this summer, is that if he doesn't have a significant role to play at Chelsea, they will push for him to be sold. They're not looking for him to go out on loan again. And I don't, incidentally, I don't think he's the only player in that kind of fringe bracket who is of that mind or whose representatives are of that mind. And, and that's a problem Chelsea will have to navigate. But particularly in Breuer's case, because there is such significant Premier League interest in him, I mean, West Ham clearly have an interest. Everton, of course, Frank Lampard will always be mentioned when there they're are talented Cobham prospects because he knows a lot of them very well. Chelsea are going to be tested, I think, on Breuer. And, and Tuchel always wanted to take a look at him in pre-season because he was really good last year. He impressed in pre-season last year. And ultimately, it was decided that the season at Southampton would just be a bit more useful for him. And he developed pretty well there, although he was a little bit up and down. Tuchel always wanted to have a look at him, but there will be real pressure here because clubs really want him and he is a way for Chelsea to generate funds that then can balance their own spending. All right, well, we'll talk more transfers in and out next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com 
slash courtside to learn more. So Liam's latest piece for The Athletic focuses on Raheem Sterling's contract. We've been talking about his move from Manchester City for what feels like ages now. It might have been confirmed as official by the time you hear this, listener. Um, Lots of good detail in the article as ever, Liam. The main thing being that he's going to be on good money and that's going to have a knock-on effect for for other people negotiating their contracts, namely Mason Mountain, Rhys James. Yeah, I mean... Sterling is now established at Chelsea as the top earner in the squad, which is the status that Romelu Lukaku had last year. And that was a one reason, one of many reasons, why bringing Lukaku back for this season was not tenable. Um, not only was his relationship with Tuchel not good, but you can't bring someone who's the top earner but not performing anywhere near like the top earner into the squad. Um, I don't think there's the same risk of Sterling going the same way. He's been a very productive player for a long time. This is someone that Tuchel has specifically identified as being a very good fit for his system. So I don't think there's much risk of this going disastrously wrong. But the point of the piece, there's kind of two points to the piece. One is Chelsea are paying Sterling a very good player over the course of his career, like he's a great one. And he might well have another level to go to at Chelsea. This is essentially a bet that he can move up another level to the realm of kind of fringe Ballon d'Or contention and be the main man and that Tuchel can be the coach to bring that out of him at the age of 27. We can't prejudge that. We'll see what happens. Um, but there's that's not, not in his track record of his previous career. And because of that, because he's the top earner, I mean, if, if Lukaku was still here and he was the top earner, it'd be the same thing. But... Chelsea are looking ahead to these negotiations with Mount and James and everything we've been told. I mean, Simon wrote a piece a little while ago. I've written the piece this week. We've both been told in no uncertain terms that these contract negotiations will not necessarily be straightforward because Mount and James have been significantly underpaid. They're two of the lowest earners in the first team squad. They both earn less than 100 grand a week and they've been two of the most valuable players. And Mount is a, was been player of the year the last two seasons. Um, and James probably would have been in that conversation too had he not had so many niggling injuries. So they can both make credible cases at the negotiating table for why they should be among Chelsea's top earners. And, and while I'm not necessarily saying they'll walk in and say, we want to be paid the same as Sterling, Sterling's pay, because he's the top earner now, does become a kind of de facto benchmark that can influence the upper bounds of what is asked for. And so that might not be a problem at all, given the way Todd Bowley seems to be approaching contracts with Sterling, perhaps with Kaladu Koulibaly. He might just walk in and go, yep, no problem. No problem, Mason. No problem, Reese. We'll pay you what you want to keep you. Uh, we value you super highly. And these negotiations suddenly are done very, very quickly. But if Chelsea walk into this thinking... Uh, you know, we can be a bit cute about this or we can look at comparative situations elsewhere in the Premier League. And a lot of people have mentioned Phil Foden's new deal at Manchester City, which has reportedly trebled his wages to £200,000 a week. He and Mount are sort of broadly comparable players. But Chelsea aren't as good as Manchester City. Mason Mount and Rhys James are more important 
to Thomas Tuchel than Phil Foden is to Guardiola. Great player though he is. And so leverage is also a part of this, relative value and leverage. So that that's the other part of this piece and you know, one of several ripple effects that that Sterling's contract has. Um all of these things all of these things matter. And um I think Sterling will be a very good player for Chelsea. Uh, I'm not certainly not being negative. A few people on Twitter have responded to the piece um, saying that it's a negative piece or that I'm down on Sterling. No, I think it's a very good signing. Um, I think the transfer fee was pretty sensible given that he had one year left. But he's being paid to be Chelsea's best player. And so the bar for him to live up to that contract is formidably high. Yeah, and I guess the, the part of the reason he's got such a big contract is the compensation of stepping down effectively from the Premier League uh, champions. Just on the Mount thing, bit of positive news on that today. Simon's spoken to him out in LA and uh, has a piece up on The Athletic now quoting Mason who says, I've got two years left on my contract. I'm very, very happy here. Those talks will hopefully be starting soon. And and what I thought was interesting, um, Liam, was, was kind of the implication that the previous regime hadn't actually spoke to him about getting a new contract. Whereas Mason quotes that meeting that everybody had with Todd Bowley and, and the other investors slash directors at the end of last season. And, and it's obviously money is one of, if not the most important thing for these guys, but, but a lot of them like to feel the love, don't they? You know, and, and that was the case with Rudiger and maybe to a lesser extent Christensen last season, that the communication, I guess for obvious reasons last season, just stopped. But you want to make these guys feel special as well as giving them a shed load of money. Well, Rudiger mentioned that in his Players' Tribune piece after he left Chelsea. And, you know, you, a lot of people are now saying, oh, they couldn't extend him because of the sanctions. The sanctions only kicked in February, March of 2022. Um, and Rudiger explicitly said that the kind of radio silence from, from August to sort of January, August 21, 2021 to January 2022 was kind of more damaging to what eventually happened. And in the case of Mount and James, I mean, Mount's current contract was signed in the summer of 2019 before he'd played a senior game for Chelsea. Quite a lot's happened since then. (laughs) And his status has completely changed within the club. And I think Chelsea missed, the previous Chelsea ownership, missed a very good opportunity to extend Mount or at least have a meaningful conversation about it the summer after the Champions League win. Um, because I think that that was just a very good demarcation point, perhaps with James as well. Although they are in slightly different situations because Mason Mount, his current contract runs until 2024. Reese James has got an extra year. So the clock isn't ticking quite as loudly with James as it is with Mount. But for one reason or another, Chelsea have allowed this to get to the point where where Mount has two years left. And that tends to be the tipping point in the leverage game. Beyond two years remaining, the power balance tends to shift away from the club and towards the player. And I think that's why you're hearing the noises coming out of, you know, Bowley and Clear Lake, that they want to be proactive about this because I think they know they have to be. It has to be one of their first points of order after the transfer window or maybe even while the transfer window is still open. And you've seen the last 24 hours, none of what I've said is to suggest that Mountain James want to leave Chelsea. Both of them, as they've said publicly, really want to stay. They want to be pillars of Chelsea for the long term. But they're going to have to be paid in accordance with their value. 
All right, so that's uh, new contracts for existing players. What about new signings? We're speaking on Wednesday morning. Kaladu Koulibaly and Nathan Ake reportedly close to joining Chelsea. The Ake one we've spoken about in recent weeks, we know what we're getting from him. Um, Left-sided centre-back, can't get enough of them, even though Levi Colwell might not agree. But Koulibaly is an interesting one, isn't he, Lim? At 31 years of age, is this somebody that Tuchel's been tracking for a long time or, or is this one of those where the Koundé link's gone a bit quiet, Delict doesn't look as likely and, and this is one that they feel that they can tie up quite, quite quickly? Well, the... The impression given is that Koulibaly is number two on Tuchel's list behind De Ligt, but Chelsea aren't getting De Ligt by the looks of things. It, it very much looks like he's going to end up at Bayern. And Koulibaly's a bit more of a pragmatic short-term purchase. There's very little doubt that he will be a quality immediate addition. You know, He's been a great defender in Europe, one of Europe's most highly rated centre-backs for a long time. At his very peak, probably in the same conversation as Thiago Silva. And everything you hear about Koulibaly's character as well is very reminiscent of Silva. It's super professional, big leader. And I think that's very important to Tuchel as well because having lost Rudiger, I think they're aware of the need to bring in another sort of forceful personality as well as a quality defender. So Koulibaly ticks those boxes. The question you have, and there's been some reporting on this saying slightly different things in the last 24 hours. We're still waiting to to find out for certain. What is the contract? If it's a straight five-year contract, as has been reported by um, some very credible people, that is a remarkable commitment, a pretty unprecedented commitment. When you look around the Premier League at any outfield starters, let alone defenders over the age of 30, none of them get five-year deals. And you can say, oh, Thiago Silva is still a key player for Chelsea at 37, 38. Um, this isn't that much of a risk. Koulibaly's great, takes him till he's 36, but he, he, you know, you don't forget how to defend. But I'd be very wary of, of establishing rules based on exceptions. Thiago Silva's an alien. And what, what he's done in, at Chelsea is without precedent as well. You know, you look at John Terry, Rio Ferdinand, Jamie Carragher, they were all done in the Premier League by their mid-30s. So if this is a straight five-year contract for Koulibaly, it's a remarkable commitment and one that has significant risk, which you have to weigh against the immediate benefit that he will provide. If it's less than that, if it's three years, if it's three years with an option or something, then it, then it starts to look a little bit better from the Chelsea side. But I think the contract's a very important part of this conversation because Bowley... And Clear Lake have made a big play of, you know, we want to run Chelsea more efficiently, no bad money on the books, decisions have to make sense. And if your first two moves are to pay Raheem Sterling to be your best player, when despite being very good, he's never been the best player on a Champions League or Premier League contender, and then to give a five-year contract to a 31-year-old defender, uh, that's that raises questions. Um, but there's no doubt... Coming out of this window uh, with Sterling Koulibaly plus potentially Ake or, or other signings would be would be a pretty good start given the circumstances that the new owners are operating under. Uh, yeah, the always excellent 
at Chelsea Youth uh, tweeting this Wednesday morning uh, if on Koulibaly's contract. If it's any longer than three plus one years, it massively breaks Premier League convention. The only 30 plus outfielder to get a clear four years of term in any recent years or four years plus recent term contracts was Sebastian Prodil. Uh, I don't think he's going to be coming to Chelsea anytime soon. What, what, what about these exits to Barcelona, Liam? I mean, Rafinha will say that he's going to Barcelona now. It certainly looks as though that, that one's done if Barcelona managed to work some financial wizardry to, to actually register him to play. But what about Azpilicueta and, and Alonso? Because this is rumbling on and on and on. They're, they're both in America, right, with Chelsea at the moment? Yes, they are. Um, and I think they're both waiting, as they have been for most of the summer. I mean, they're clearly not priorities for Barcelona to the point where Barcelona are prepared to pay to actually get them because they are under contract. They're not free agents. Chelsea are well within their rights to just not let them go for nothing. They're still productive squad players. Um, and particularly as Piliqueta, he has value beyond what just what he does on the pitch. He's the club captain. He's a club legend. You know, that there is value to Chelsea keeping him for another year. Um, even if he might want to go to Barcelona. So that's what Chelsea's stance is. They're also looking to get defenders in and Chelsea's priority has to be to make sure they have enough defensive bodies and enough defensive quality to satisfy Tuchel before they sanction any departures. So this is something that could run and run because Barcelona are frantically working their economic levers and tying themselves in all sorts of financial knots to raise cash now. But they seem to be doing it with an eye on signing Rafinha and then potentially signing Robert Lewandowski. Um, and if Azpilicueta and Alonso are to follow, they will have to be lower down the priority list. So I, I could see this dragging on potentially right to the end of the window, which I'm sure neither player would, would want. Neither player would want that, Liam. That would be good for Chelsea fans, though, wouldn't it? Because it would feel really wrong to me if one day it was just announced that Cesar Azpilicueta had just left. You know, he needs to be doing a lap of honour around Stamford Bridge and, and getting the kudos that he deserves, doesn't he? We've talked about him as a, one of the all-time Chelsea greats. It would be pretty sad to, to end his career just sort of drifting off without saying goodbye. He's definitely in the bracket of Chelsea legend that deserves that kind of send-off for everything he's done for the club. But if you look back, even recent Chelsea history, he wouldn't be the first to be denied that. I mean, Frank Lampard's spoken numerous times about feeling bad about the way, or feeling a bit kind of unfulfilled about the way his Chelsea tenure ended and not getting to say a proper goodbye as a player to the fans. And John Terry basically got a whole season's victory <laughs> lap as a, as a bench player under Conte. Drogba... Kind of got it with the Champions League win, but that was kind of overshadowed by the the triumph for the moment. Then he had to come back to get his little encore. So it's I th very few players get to write their own scripts. It's just the reality of, of football. And, you know, in the long term, it won't necessarily matter if Azpilicueta has to leave without explicitly saying goodbye. Whenever he comes back to Chelsea, whenever that is, um, he'll get the same reception, the same heroes welcome but it would be nice I agree for him to get you know a proper lap of appreciation Athletic is the best place to keep up to date with all the latest in regards of transfers in and out of Chelsea and everywhere else too right next today we'll talk Chelsea women in Europe <laughs>
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Plenty of involvement for Chelsea women at the ongoing European Championships to help us round up what's been happening. Let's introduce a new friend to the pod. Jesse Parker Humphreys is a freelance football writer who just so happens to be a Chelsea fan too. Jesse joins us now. Uh, long time coming, this Jesse. Great to have you on the show. You've been clocking up the miles on the road during the European Championships so far. Um, I, I want to start talking about England. Uh, for obvious reasons, and that 8-0 walloping they dished out to Norway on Monday night. We'll, we'll get to the ramifications for, for Norway shortly, but a good night for Frank Kirby and Millie Bright, not that Millie had much to do. Just wonder how impressed you've been with Fran so far, given everything we've been talking about on the pod in recent weeks, about how incredible it was she, she managed to come back. She wasn't the standout performer here, but just the fact that she's been able to start these two games and influence them is pretty amazing, right? Yeah, I think it's kind of tribute to how important Serena Wiegmann obviously sees her as being in terms of how she's almost not rushed, I don't think, but been very keen to get her into that starting lineup to start both games. And I think in both matches, actually, her role's been quite understated, but I don't think that means she hasn't been important. I think it's easy to look at, you know, like the Beth Meads and Ellen Whites in this England team who kind of racking up the goals and obviously their performances have been amazing, but... I feel like what Fran's been able to do is kind of really knit that attack together in a slightly more subtle way. And of course, you know, she got the assist for the goal against Austria, which was the only one we scored. And, and it was a fantastic assist to kind of chip the ball over that defence uh, for Beth Mead to run onto. And so because England have had this massive win and already qualified, you'd expect them to change things up when they play Northern Ireland on Friday. Does that mean we might see a bit of Bethany England? And has there been any concern about her lack of game time? Or is she just kind of accepting of the fact that she's a backup player in this squad? Yeah, I feel a bit sorry for her because I just feel like every time a major tournament comes around, there's almost like someone new to bump her down the list. It's kind of clear that at this point, Beekman sees her as the third choice striker there. Um, and I think that's a bit harsh, really. I think sometimes, you know, maybe the different things Beth England can do gets gets overlooked. You know, I think obviously Alessia Russo maybe links up play a bit more than Ellen White. And that's why she's kind of become this alternate player to come on at around 60 minutes. But I actually think Beth England's a great hybrid of both of those styles of play in a number nine. But, you know, obviously when she hasn't necessarily had the chance to start so much at Chelsea, that is going to kind of impact the, the playing time she, she gets for England. But yeah, I think hopefully we'll see Beth and, and maybe Jess Carter as well uh, in Southampton on Friday. 
So the other side of that 8-0 win against Norway was was obviously the, the knock-on effect for, for the Norwegian players. Guru Wright and how like the, the rest of that fame front three barely saw the ball, but it felt like a damaging night for, for Marin Mielder. Obviously had awful injury problems over the last year or so. I mean, do you, do you expect them to be able to kind of shake that off and, and get the result against Austria to send them through anyway? Or is this going to be sort of long-term psychological scars for, for those pair and the rest of the Norway team? I do worry for them against Austria, you know, because I think there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the front three and, you know, how good they could or should be. But we've seen that Austria are very good defensively. So in terms of seeing how easily England found it to keep, you know, the ball away from them, I mean, Austria obviously won't, I think, be able to have the same kind of possession ability that England did. But, you know, England struggled to score against Austria. So you do wonder if Austria think, well, you know, this is this is a great chance to nick it. And the really bizarre thing about the Norway game and, and how little the manager tried to change is that, of course, because of the goal difference, Norway now have all the pressure on them because they need to win the game, not Austria. So... I feel very sorry for Mara Mielder, yeah, to have not played all year and then kind of basically get back to, to play this tournament. She's obviously captain of that team as well. And, and to have, you know, kind of what happened to her happen is it's a tricky one. And it's a tough defence for her to kind of manage because, you know, we've obviously seen her really excel at fullback. She has played centre-back in Norway for a long time, but I don't think that's her best position. Equally, Maria Torres-Dottir, we never really saw her play at centre-back when she was at Chelsea, although she does now do that at United. But she's always been a player with a couple of errors in her and then Norway's fullbacks aren't really fullbacks. So you've got a lot to try and organise there. And I think we obviously just saw on in, in the 8-0 that it's not very well organised, ultimately. Keeping it Nordic in Chelsea. Denmark got thumped by Germany in their opening game. They beat Finland uh, on Tuesday. Penilla Harder got the goal. Is it a bit reductive of me to say that it's just all about Penilla Harder when it comes to Denmark? No, I think that's that's pretty much the case. I mean, they do sometimes try and do some interesting things with their wing backs, but basically against Germany, they were like, uh, Germany were like, we'll just stick Lena Oberdorf on her. And that was kind of that for that game uh, in an attacking sense. Uh, they were a lot better against Finland. And yeah, it felt so classic that Penila got the goal. I mean, I will say... It wasn't the most um, beautiful of Penila's goals you'll, you'll ever see. It, it was a, a scrappy uh, header in after the ball came back off the crossbar to her. But, you know, you saw how much it kind of meant to her because she ran and screamed right down the camera. And, you know, now Denmark have a really good opportunity of, of getting out of this group, which I don't think many people thought they would do. Um, one all in the in the much hyped game between two of the pre tournament favourites on Saturday, Sweden and the Netherlands sharing the points. It was Magda Eriksson against Anik Nguyen. Do you think that these two teams are worthy of that tag of being amongst the contenders? Did they show that on Saturday? I think ahead of the game, I thought Sweden were and the Netherlands weren't, but the Netherlands definitely surprised me. They were a lot better than I thought. Um, Anik obviously went off injured after about half an hour. Uh, and uh, was rather unfortunately nutmegged by Kosovari Aslani uh, in the assist for the opening goal, which maybe not her finest moment. And then, yeah, Magda playing in, in a back three, um, which is interesting because obviously it's not always something that she's excelled at at Chelsea, but they're kind of doing it at Sweden now as well. So, yeah, I think both of these teams look like they can can go far. And I think this group could be quite tasty in the games to come because because they've now drawn 1-1. They've both kind of got to try and outscore each other in the games against Switzerland and Portugal. So I worry slightly for, for those two teams in the remaining fixtures. Um, France, they smashed Italy 5-1 in the glamorous surroundings of, of Rotherham. Eve Perisette played the full 90. She's a new signing for Chelsea ahead of next season. What can you tell us about her? Yeah, so... 
Eve is a very, very versatile player. Um, you know, she can play it right back, left back, midfield. So I think you can see why Emma Hayes has been, you know, keen to bring her in because I think both those positions where our squad's quite weak at the moment. I was really impressed by her in this this France-Italy game. I'd kind of watched bits of her at Bordeaux, um, both pre and post signing, but this was the first time I'd seen her live. And she looked defensively great. She was really good getting forward. She was the impetus behind France's first goal. And from then, kind of Italy just collapsed. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought she looked really good. She looked totally at home on the ball. Um, she was playing at right back for France. So I think uh, she looks like she's going to be a really good signing. So she's come in. Katarina Svitkova's come in. Do you think there's going to be more additions before the WSL season gets underway? I would like us to bring in a midfielder still. Uh, as far as I'm aware, there's been like bits and bobs done, which maybe haven't gone as far as uh, the club wanted. But I think, you know, there hopefully will be some um, some strengthening there still to come. Um, otherwise, I think in terms of, you know, the defensive signings, bringing in Buchanan and Perisette, they were the things that, that really, really needed to get done. But yeah, I guess we'll just have to see whether whether they can they can find the the midfielder to really add add some more depth there. So it was earlier this week that the the fixtures were released for next season's WSL season kicks off on the eleventh of September. Chelsea home to West Ham. They've got Man City at home in the third game of the season. That's also late September. And then notice they don't play Arsenal till January, and then back at Kings Meadow, penultimate game of the season. It's kind of difficult, isn't it, to say much about fixtures other than they play every team twice. But <laughs> it does look like a, a reasonably gentle start to the campaign. But I guess the Euros is the X factor here, isn't it? And how fatigued people are going to be after that. Yeah, I think we've done well to avoid Man City and Arsenal. You know, obviously last season coming back into that Arsenal game with lots of our players coming off the Olympics did not go how we wanted it. And, you know, obviously it all worked out fine in the end in terms of in terms of the league, but it did put, put us on the back foot. And I do wonder if, you know, that added pressure in the league then had a knock-on effect in some of those Champions League games as well, where obviously we did go out in the group stage. So... Yeah, I think to start at West Ham is kind of a nice opportunity for us and then to go to Liverpool as well um, to kind of slowly get into the into the season. But yeah, there's the worry for me is maybe that March time where we've got United and City back to back. That looks like the trickiest um, couple of weeks in the, in the fixture list. Uh, although, of course, uh, Brighton away in October is a guaranteed points dropper for us too. Um, but crucially for you, Jesse, West Ham at home, first game of the season doesn't interfere with your holiday plans too much, right? Yep. Uh, I booked a holiday to Los Angeles over the first weekend of the WSL season because they took so long to announce when it started. So I was praying we weren't going to get City or Arsenal because that would have not been a good weekend away. But West Ham, not the end of the world. Skip that one, I don't think. Nah, agree with you. Um, excellent. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me. Jesse Parker Humphreys there. Follow them on Twitter at JessieJPH. All right, before we go, uh, Liam, give us a bit more info on your, on your Sterling piece and anything else you'd like to plug, please. Um, so, yeah, the Sterling piece is out on, on the site. People can read it now and, and make up their own minds, whether I'm being negative or, or balanced or whatever. And we're also working on a big piece about uh, Koulibaly now. I'm, I'm delving deep into Y Scout because while I've watched him a few times, I need to get a lot more familiar with him. It very much looks like he's going to be a Chelsea player now. So we're talking to people to try and get a better sense of what he's like, what his career in Italy has been like, um, but also going into the clips and, and delving into the stats to try and get a, a fuller picture of what he does well, 
and also you know what the next three four five years could look like uh, that's good. Looking forward to that. Uh, there's loads more Chelsea content on The Athletic too. Simon's been really busy in LA. He's got pieces up with Mason Mount and Jorginho, and he's written an entry into The Athletic's top 50 Premier League performances, focusing on Frank Lampard's title-clinching display at Bolton in 2005. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. That'll just about do us for today. There, many thanks to Jesse for joining us earlier, for Simon for his voice note from LA, and for Liam for talking us through all the transfer latest. We'll be back next week when we'll react to the first pre-season game and plenty more besides. Join us then if you can. Bye for now. The Athletic. <laughs>